I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, my guest is Kate Swanson, a lawyer and entrepreneur, and more recently, the founder and CEO of Ensemble, a design-forward modern housewares brand that has disrupted its category and received accolades from the likes of Architectural Digest. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. With her strong business acumen and background in corporate law, Kate literally bootstrapped Ensemble from concept to launch. Before starting her own company, she had worked as legal counsel and head of policy at FAIR Canada, an organization dedicated to protecting minority investor rights and addressing corporate governance matters of public interest, in addition to working for a leading global law firm. Kate's legal experience advising on both transactional and governance matters helped prepare her for her jump to entrepreneurship. If you're interested in purchasing Ensemble for yourself, check out getensemble.com. That's get E-N-S-E-M-B-L.com and use code FEMALE15 for 15% off your purchase. And now here's my conversation with Kate. Kate, it's such a pleasure having you on The Bread is Female. Thank you for making time to speak with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Eva. I'm really excited to be here. And I can't wait to hear about the story of you launching Ensemble and everything that's happened since. So I like to go back at, at the start of these conversations and ask you, when you were growing up, what did you think you'd be doing as a career later in life? Oh my gosh, that's such a fun question to start out with. Um, I did not think that I would be running a luxury home goods company um, when mm-hmm. I was when I was really young. I think my first kind of dream job that I had was that I wanted to be a fashion designer. I used to love watching Jeannie Becker and um, <laughs> fashion television and Tim Blanks and Fashion File on TV. And so for a long time, that was my dream was to um, go into fashion. Um, and then I think as I got a little bit older, my dreams became a bit more practical and I wanted to be a lawyer, which is ultimately what I ended up pursuing in terms of school. Um, I went to law school. Um, And shout out to Jeannie, who has been a guest on The Brand is Female. So I love that anecdote. Um, So you started a career in law, which also, I mean, I can see the connection between wanting to be a fashion designer and what you're doing today. There is a, a very creative element and design that's involved in in your brand. So that's not completely disconnected. Uh, So tell me about that first chapter in your career of working in in law. Yeah. So I went to law school in Toronto. And when I, when I finished school, I started working with a, um, a large international law firm doing corporate and securities law. And I mean, I think honestly, law is such an interesting degree to have and such an interesting profession to pursue. I think a lot of times people get sort of pigeonholed that, you know, lawyers only know how to be lawyers. But I really think that a law degree and the practice of law is this incredible opportunity to gain an in-depth understanding in kind of anything and everything. You know, you are trained how to 
read complex documents, how to make sense of incredibly complex text, and then put in motion a plan and and move forward with it. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of what day-to-day lawyering is. Um, but it's also what a lot of day-to-day entrepreneurship is as well. And so mm. while the two are, you know, I would say pretty, pretty far apart in terms of career paths, I think the the foundation for both of those are are quite similar. I, I can see that. And also it's good preparation um, for, I think, any any career that has to do with business because you've been exposed to, uh, you know, businesses in different industries and you know how a business runs. Yeah. I think one of the one of the cool ways that I get to continue to use my law degree on a daily basis is in all of in all of our contract drafting, like even even if we're not creating formalized contracts, I'm constantly putting together informal agreements. And so, and, and sometimes those agreements do lead to much more um, formal documented um, co- contracts between right now I'm working with a really cool interior designer that we're hoping to do a long-term partnership with and develop some products with. And uh, it's, you know, it's nice to be able to review on my own materials that they send across. It's nice to be able to put together yeah. something that um, they can feel comfortable and confident reading and going through um, and, you know, not needing to make something a thousand pages uh, without, you know, if that's not necessary, Mm -hmm. but just do something that's, you know, nice, like short, simple to the point, um, but covers all of our bases. And so I'm using my degree on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We've had a lot of women on the show who, you know, had a past life or first chapter of their career in finance, banking or law. Uh, So it's interesting to see how those skills come in very handy (laughs) afterwards. So tell me about, I'm curious to know if, um, because I read somewhere what the origin story is for Ensemble. So I want to hear it from you. Um, But also were there entrepreneurs in your circle, um, you know, that maybe inspired you on the path to building your own business? And just in general, who was a source of inspiration to you? And this could have been even during your your career in law. Yeah. So when I was when I was starting out, I, I definitely I didn't have a moment where I sat down and I was like, I think I want to start my own business. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it was more I had a moment where I had come home from a really long day at work and wanted to make myself dinner. Um, I. I really love to cook. Um, shocking as someone who makes cookware. And, <laughs> uh, and I, I went to open my cupboard and all of the lids came crashing. All of the lids that I had kind of like Tetris in came crashing down. And it was just like a really like, you know, that moment after a really long day when I'm just like, oh, like this is not mm. what I want to be dealing with is trying to just get this one pot out and make something so that I'm not just constantly eating takeout. And I'm like, why is this so difficult? And then, you know, the process of trying to put everything back into the cupboard at the end, I'm like, this is just a nightmare. And like at the end of my day, this shouldn't be so difficult. This product shouldn't be designed this way. And I kind of sat there in my kitchen looking at it, looking at the way that all of my pots were stacked, looking at my cupboard and going, this is a this is a design problem that we're faced with here. These are products that are made for people that live in large suburban homes, people that have tons and tons of storage space. 
and I'm living in a condo in the middle of the city and I have, you know, it's like standard condo kitchen. I just, I don't have that much additional space to put this away. There has to be a better way that we could design this. And so, mm-hmm. um, at the outset, the start of ensemble was really just me trying to solve my own problem, which was how could I create cookware that could fit into my cupboard could be, you know, really high performance. I could still make incredible meals, um, something that could be, you know, beautiful, sleek, multifunctional and all of those things. But I didn't really Mm -hmm. start at it from being like, I want to have, I want to have build a brand. I want to have this business. It was more of just like, I really want to solve my problem. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's, Um, that's always interesting when a business starts that way. Yeah, exactly. Because you're, you're seeing firsthand the gap in the market. Um, so how many years ago was it that you started the brand? Uh, it was six years ago, which feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but it was, I think, a really cool moment in time to have had that realization. Um, so like six years ago, that's those are like the early days of the suitcase brand Away and the fashion brand Everlane, yeah. sort of those pioneers yeah. that were proving out um, a direct to consumer model, which yeah. isn't ultimately like we don't only like we sell our products other ways than just direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think most brands do that now. But I think the cool idea of the D2C model when it's sort of during its like version one iteration was that you didn't need to be a legacy company yeah. in order yeah. to create a product. If you had um, sort of the like wherewithal within you to sort of figure out the type of product you wanted to create. Um, you could go and find a manufacturer and work with them, mm-hmm. find a designer. You could, you know, create a packaging, you could create a website, you could create all of that on your own. And mm-hmm. I think prior to that, um, it just, it, it hadn't, it hadn't been done. There weren't necessarily examples that you could look to, to be like, oh, like this is something people do. Yeah, it, and it's it's interesting that these uh, these industries where it was only legacy companies have been completely disrupted, right? These new players coming in, and you're one of them in the cookware industry. Um, is it, and it's funny how it it there hadn't been change in what seems like forever. And I read somewhere that when you were looking at the category, all you saw, you know, there was no uh, no brand that had consideration for modern design and. Um, sustainability was also a a playing factor for you. But I'm curious to know um, how hard was it to launch a brand, go to suppliers, find the right supplier, uh, and get them to to do exactly what you were trying to create? Uh, It was very hard. (laughs) There's like, no, (laughs) I don't think there's like a nice way to sugarcoat that. Um, It's, it has been, it has been extraordinarily challenging. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, at Ensemble, we created something that literally didn't exist. Um, we're not taking yeah. somebody else's cookware that they've manufactured and putting our logo on it. Everything right. about our product has been custom, just like custom built from the ground up. The removable handles that we made, like those did not exist. We invented them. Mm-hmm. We patented them. Um, Amazing. And all of that. Thank you. Um, I'm like, incredibly proud of what we've done, but at the same time, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, especially as I was, you know, like a woman by myself calling manufacturers being, Hey, like, um, I have this idea that I want to make cookware <laughs> with a removable handle. Um, 
what is the capacity, like the operating capacity of your factory? Do you work with outside clients? Like, would you be open? And like having people just be like, um, like click, like, I, I don't want to talk to you. Like we make our wow. own cookware. We make products a certain way. We're not interested in mm-hmm. innovating. We're not interested in working with outside parties, like go away. <laughs> and so, right. you know, um, it took, it took a long time to find a manufacturer that was excited about innovating and that wanted mm-hmm. to take a chance on us um, in order to create something new. Mm-hmm. So tell me about, you know, after you finally got product going and, and found the right manufacturers to work with, how was it or how is, you know, what kind of feedback did you get when you first went to market? And you've mentioned that, you know, you do sell direct to consumer, but you also sell through other channels. Um, so how was that process of, you know, figuring out where to sell the product? Um, but also how were you communicating to clients what this product was about and how, how much of a change it was for the category? Yeah. I mean, that's something I want to say, you know, I don't think there's like a perfect answer and definitely something that we are still figuring out how to do that better every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we started D2C um, before we had even completed manufacturing. Um, you know, it was took a lot of capital in order to launch our first production run. And so before we did Mm -hmm. that, I was like, we should prove out that we have demand for this product. And so we built, um, I'm going to say a very like janky website and had renderings. (laughs) We had rendering images of the product. So sort of like the vision of what we wanted to make, but they weren't photos of the actual product that we had created because we hadn't built it yet. Um, Mm -hmm. And we took pre-orders and we sold like an astonishing number of sets to people all around the world. Amazing. Um, Just off of, off of this website, we ran some, ran some ads, drove traffic, had just like incredible conversion. Like it was a really exciting time to, to do all of that. Um, And we were like, okay, we've got, we've got demand. This is something that people are interested in. Let's, let's, let's keep going. Um, and then COVID hit. <laughs> and so oh, we were no. mid, we were midway through our first production and um, the, the world changed. And we produce um, the majority of our products um, and all of our cookware uh, in, in China, just uh, like an hour mm-hmm. and a half outside of Shanghai. Um, and our factories were, were closed um, during mm. those first few those first few months of COVID when North America, the rest of the world was still open. It hadn't reached us yet. Um, and that was a really scary time. There was a ton of uncertainty because we didn't know what was going to, we didn't know what COVID was going to become. We didn't know what was going to happen. But, but for us, our factories were closed and we couldn't keep working. And so um, yeah. it was really, really challenging in order to get past that, especially knowing that we had just taken all of these orders um, mm. and, and had a product to deliver to people. So that was really challenging. Yeah. <laughs> this season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. 
it's it's unfortunate, but it's a um, I won't say it's funny, but it's because it, there's really nothing funny about it. But a lot of companies, a lot of founders I speak to on the show, you know, started a business. Some of them just before COVID, and their store was about to open, and you know. It's it's been such a disruptor for really any type of business and across all industries. So, what kind of pivot did you have to make, and did it mean you had to put manufacturing on hold, you know, for for months, or did you find uh, an alternative in the meantime? Yeah, so we had to pause our manufacturing for a couple of months. Um, again, because everything that we do is so custom, it's not just a matter yeah. of saying like, "Well, you can't just if, switch." If, yeah. if you're if you're closed, we'll go find someone that's open. It was sort of like, "Well, this is this is who we're working with," and so we need to we need to see this through. Um, mm-hmm. But we were. I mean, again, I think, um, as you mentioned, you know, COVID, I think you could kind of look at it as um, maybe like a blessing in disguise is the wrong way to look at it. But it really it really forced us to be creative. It really mm. forced us to think through um, how we were going to complete our production run. And I think in the in the world where COVID had never happened, um, a lot of our production and like development work that had been done to, to uh, up until then we relied on making physical trips to our factory and just working mm. together with our engineering team there in person and because of covid we had to get really creative being like okay how can we actually implement what have become like scalable processes to have our team in china do all of this work and sort of have us verify it remotely. Um, but sort of thinking through, okay, like what are those QC checks going to be? How, like, how are we going to sign off? What are the tolerances that we can accept? How do we determine when something um, is sort of like ready to be packaged versus, you know, needs to go back onto the line and have like work mm-hmm. or continue on it. Um, and really putting that ops plan together we were forced to do that. And I mean, it's been, it's been incredible now. Like we can do, I don't want to say like, I don't want to say a production run is ever just like a breeze, but it, we would be struggling still if we had always been relying just on those in-person visits. So I think right, it really yeah. forced us to um, grow up a bit as, as a company and, and operate as if we were, as if we were a larger brand. Um, and so I'm like, in a sense, I guess, grateful for that experience. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting how COVID pushed everyone out, out of their comfort zones and it, you know, it was painful, but it did lead to what seemed to be a lot of innovation and creativity and, you know, in, in some cases, n- new ventures or, you know, new benefits for a company or a brand. So kudos on, on doing that and seeing the, the silver lining. Um, what kind of network do you rely on, uh, you know, the network that's close to you as a founder who are kind of the trusted, you know, advisors or partners that um, you've kind of, you know, assembled around you um, that help you, you know, well, stay sane for one, but also uh, that help make the company a success? Um, so I've been really fortunate to have a core group of trusted advisors and investors that I can turn to for advice. Um, They're really great in terms of, you know, when I have questions, when I'm just like in general uncertain about a situation or how we should proceed, they're people that I can go to. Um, But I think sometimes more so than just having a network of more, I guess, like 
like formal advisors, um, I always mm-hmm. find it really helpful to bounce ideas off of other founder friends. And I think it's sometimes comforting, even, you know, even though they might be a founder in a completely different industry, working on projects that have nothing to do with what Ensemble is doing, it's comforting mm-hmm. to know that they also face kind of the same kind of hurdles and the same kind of adversity um, in their business. And it's nice to be able to get advice from them and just, I don't know, sort of feel like you're not alone in a role that I think sometimes is incredibly isolating. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something I hear from so many women entrepreneurs and for, for a lot of them who are just starting out and don't have that network yet. It's probably one of the hardest things, right? Uh, We often hear that entrepreneurs are the loneliest people. (laughs) So it's great that you've been able to, uh, to build that. Um, I want to talk about leadership a little bit, um, and I want to know what your definition of being a leader or leadership is and what you try to bring, you know, as a woman founder to your role uh, leading your team uh, for for your company. Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have one single answer, but when I when I think of what it means to be a leader and how how I try to lead, I think it's all about setting an example and showing the people around you compassion and helping them to find their way down up down any given path. I think I think that's I think that's what it means to that's what it means to be a leader. Um, and I think something that is really important to me is to make sure that in my own leadership style, I'm trying to cultivate a path forward that feels true to myself as opposed to trying to cultivate a path that maybe looks like what I've seen leaders do before me or what I, what I look Mm -hmm. to when I, when I see leader kind of more and like, like, like an abstract in the world. Um, I think something that's really important to me is, you know, developing like strong boundaries between your work and your life. And I think as a leader, Mm -hmm. that's something that like you are the one for your team that has to help kind of set that tone. Um, I think mm-hmm. coming coming from law, um, it, it is my nature and what I was trained to do, which is to just work relentlessly, nonstop. And sometimes that's great. But I've also seen the other side of that, which is the like extremes of burnout. And um, that's always something that's like on my mind is that I don't want my team to feel that way. Um, and I want to make sure that I can set a good example for them to show them that, you know, mm-hmm. I also take breaks and I, yeah, I know when my work is getting to a point where I'm not actually being productive and that like work for the sake of work isn't, isn't necessarily what we need to be doing. Um, and so I think all, all of those are the, sort of the ideas going through my head when I, when I try to think through what it means to be a good leader. I I love that, and it sounds like you uh, you 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 are quite the leader for your for your team, and you're implementing you know great principles. Um, 
And that leads me to want to ask you about values, um, something I've observed, I think, for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs starting businesses today, um, core values that, you know, are more than just the words that you put on top of, you know, uh, of, that you put on your website or that you hang in the, in the, in the company's cafeteria, but principles that you try to infuse um, within the brand and that have an impact on internal culture, but also on how your brand is viewed by clients. And, um, you know, usually it extends to really every, uh, every iteration of how the company operates. Um, so what, what are those core values for you at Ensemble? What's, you know, what, what comes down to those core principles that really matter? Yeah. So I think one of the most important pillars of Ensemble is this concept of conscious creation. Um, mm -hmm. And that's and like a term that we've kind of coined and we were trying to think of ways to, um, to touch on everything that we hoped to do as a brand from making our products to working with our investors, to working with our team, to dealing with our customers mm -hmm. and sort of existing in, in the broader world. But I think that's kind of the, the best way to dig into like what it is um, or like the values that are important to Ensemble. And again, I think it's just this idea mm -hmm. of being really conscious of the fact that operating as a brand and bringing new products into this world is an immense privilege to have and that we should carry ourselves that way. Um, it, is a, it is a privilege to be able to create the cookware that's going to come into someone's home and that they're going to use mm -hmm. to like make this amazing dinner party for their friends. And so, you know, when we are DMing someone on Instagram to answer a question about the frying pan or messaging with them on email to tell them um, some of our great tips for how to, you know, cook on stainless steel if they've never done that before. I think just mm -hmm. keeping this idea in mind that like, this is such a privilege that we have and that's the way that we should mm -hmm. um, approach everything that we're, that we're working on. Um, so I think, I think at Ensemble, that's, like that. yeah, that's kind of the way we, we try to frame it. And um, I could go on for like hours about this. I don't want to <laughs> bore you. Um, but we, we try to, we try to take that kind of like philosophical approach um, and yeah. And, ex and extend that in in different ways. Um, I know we talked at the, or you mentioned a very early in the conversation that sustainability is a, a huge part of our brand, and it, it definitely mm -hmm. is. Um, but it, I think the the way that we get there is coming back to this idea that we want to be so conscious of our role as right. a brand making products. And so, you know, um, I don't think in 2023 anybody has like nobody should be creating a product that is yeah. going to be un like, that's going to be unsustainable. That's going to be damaging to the environment. Yeah. Like we know too yeah. much. We are like, we have too much information about the damage that that can do. And so we need to be approaching it yeah. from that, that place of deep consciousness about what it is that we're doing. Yeah, no, and I, I can see that in your product. I'm a big fan of stainless cookware myself, so that's right up my alley. And I hadn't found a brand. I basically, I'm still using um, pots and pans that were passed down from my dad who loved to cook, and he had, you know, amazing quality 
uh, stainless cookware, but I hadn't found a brand that I could add, you know, to my collection that really met my criteria for design, for durability, um, just for quality of how they're made. So I'm very excited that there's now an option. <laughs> so I'll be, oh. I'll be placing in an order. Oh, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I also want to talk about, so you've, you know, you've become uh, an entrepreneur, you're a founder. Uh, you mentioned the company was started six years ago. What would you say are the two things that you wish you had known before starting your business that you know now? Another way to look at this is what would you say to somebody, you know, in front of you who's considering starting a company? What are those top two things that they should know? Um, so I think the first one would be the f you have to reject this idea that your journey as a female founder is going to look like the journeys of male founders that you see in mm. the news and on TV and journeys that are that are often celebrated. This idea of having an idea and going out and raising a giant round of seed funding because you had this great idea and taking, you know, millions of dollars in order to get like a, an initial beta concept and moving on from there. Um, I mean, that's, that's amazing if that's what you can do, but I don't know a single female founder that has done that. Um, and mm -hmm. I think this is something that I have talked with a number of my friends about, and we have sort of agreed that, the sooner you can get that idea out of your mind and realize that there are a million other ways that you can move forward and that you can create an incredible business that can be profitable, that cat that has longevity, but that path doesn't look like those, I'm going to call them like typical male founder stories. Um, the right. sooner you can wrap your head around that, I think the better. Mm, that's so interesting um, and really good advice. Okay. So that's one. Yeah. So that would be the first one. Um, and the second one is honestly, like you just have to get started. Um, I think sometimes <laughs> yeah. I, and like, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like, I think sometimes I can spend, you know, I can spend forever sort of like planning out what, you know, like the next like month, six month year is going to look like, and like, how, like, how should we navigate this and what should we do? And like, honestly, I have to just be like, stop that. What is like the next thing that you need to do? Just go and do that. Like mm -hmm. stop, stop making lists, stop making these like really like elaborate plans. What is the next thing that you need to do? Just go and do that. And if you just, if you keep doing that, you know, eventually it'll be six years in and, yeah. um, and you will, and you will, have, <laughs> you will have something that you have built. Um, you will have built something incredible. Yeah. Whereas, um, I think sometimes, you know, you can, you can spend, you could spend a lifetime just like jotting down notes and making plans Absolutely. Um, you just have to yeah. just get started. Sure. I love that. That is excellent advice. And uh, I guess my, my last question. So what's, what's next for Ensemble? What's on the agenda for 2023? What are, uh, some big moves maybe that you're excited about or what can we expect next? Yeah, so I think 2023 at Ensemble, um, I am most excited about diversifying our sales channels. Um, that's kind of like a nerdy answer to your question. Um, I think <laughs> no, I like it. I think there is a lot of really cool work to be done um, for us as a brand um, in partnership with or working alongside 
incredible architects and interior designers. And I'm really excited about some of those partnerships that we have in the works and what that will look like for the company. Um, and I am also itching to get started on some new products. And so I hope that 2023 is going to be the year that we can pull the trigger on those and start to bring some more innovation into the kitchen um, and the home more broadly, because I think there are poorly designed products throughout our house, not just limited to the kitchen. And I hope that Ensemble can be the brand to, to tackle that. Mm. Well, I mean, you're already off to a great start. So very excited to see, uh, you know, all of this come together in, in coming months. And thank you so much, Kate. It's been great hearing about your journey. Love what you've built with the brand. And thank you for making time today. Thank you so much for having me, Eva. This is really wonderful. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. 